chapter two part one of the mayflower and miscellaneous writings by harriet beecher stowe this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the mayflower and miscellaneous writings by harriet beecher stowe chapter two love versus law part one how many kinds of beauty there are how many even in the human form there are the bloom and motion of childhood the freshness and ripe perfection of youth the dignity of manhood the softness of woman all different yet each in its kind perfect but there is none so peculiar none that bears more the image of the heavenly than the beauty of christian old age it is like the loveliness of those calm autumn days when the heats of summer are past when the harvest is gathered into the garner and the sun shines over the placid fields and fading woods which stand waiting for their last change it is a beauty more strictly moral more belonging to the soul than that of any other period of life poetic fiction always paints the old man as a christian nor is there any period where the virtues of christianity seem to find a more harmonious development the aged man who has outlived the hurry of passion who has withstood the urgency of temptation who has concentrated the religious impulses of youth into habits of obedience and love who having served his generation by the will of god now leans in helplessness on him whom once he served is perhaps one of the most faultless representations of the beauty of holiness that this world affords thoughts something like these arose in my mind as i slowly turned my footsteps from the graveyard of my native village where i had been wandering after years of absence it was a lovely spot a soft slope of ground close by a little stream that ran sparkling through the cedars and junipers beyond it while on the other side arose a green hill with the white village laid like a necklace of pearls upon its bosom there is no feature of the landscape more picturesque and peculiar than that of the graveyard that city of the silent as it is beautifully expressed by the orientals standing amid the bloom and rejoicing of nature its white stones glittering in the sun a memorial of decay a link between the living and the dead as i moved slowly from mound to mound and read the inscriptions which purported that many a money-saving man and many a busy anxious housewife and many a prattling half-blossomed child had done with care or mirth i was struck with a plain slab bearing the inscription to the memory of deacon enos dudley who died in his hundredth year my eye was caught by this inscription for in other years i had well known the person it recorded at this instant his mild and venerable form arose before me as erst it used to rise from the deacon's seat a straight close 
slip just below the pulpit i recollect his quiet and lowly coming into meeting precisely ten minutes before the time every sunday his tall form a little stooping his best suit of butternut-coloured sunday clothes with long flaps and wide cuffs on one of which two pins were always to be seen stuck in with the most reverent precision when seated the top of the pew came just to his chin so that his silvery placid head rose above it like the moon above the horizon his head was one that might have been sketched for a saint john bald at the top and around the temples adorned with a soft flow of bright fine hair that down his shoulders reverently spread as hoary frost with spangles doth attire the naked branches of an oak half dead he was then of great age and every line of his patient face seemed to say and now lord what wait i for yet still year after year was he to be seen in the same place with the same dutiful punctuality the services he offered to his god were all given with the exactness of an ancient israelite no words could have persuaded him of the propriety of meditating when the choir was singing or of sitting down even through infirmity before the close of the longest prayer that ever was offered a mighty contrast was he to his fellow-officer deacon abrams a tight little tripping well-to-do man who used to sit beside him with his hair brushed straight up like a little blaze his coat buttoned up trig and close his psalm-book in hand and his quick grey eyes turned first on one side of the broad aisle and then on the other and then up into the gallery like a man who came to church on business and felt responsible for everything that was going on in the house a great hindrance was the business talent of this good little man to the enjoyments of us youngsters who perched along in a row on a low seat in front of the pulpit attempted occasionally to diversify the long hour of sermon by sundry small exercises of our own such as making our handkerchiefs into rabbits or exhibiting in a sly way the apples and gingerbread we had brought for a sunday dinner or pulling the ears of some discreet meeting-going dog who now and then would soberly pit-a-pat through the broad aisle but woe be to us during our contraband sports if we saw deacon abrams's sleek head dodging up from behind the top of the deacon's seat instantly all the apples gingerbread and handkerchiefs vanished and we all sat with our hands folded looking as demure as if we understood every word of the sermon and more too there was a great contrast between these two deacons in their services and prayers when as was often the case the absence of the pastor devolved on them the burden of conducting the duties of the sanctuary that god was great and good and that we all were sinners were truths that seemed to have melted into the heart of deacon enos so that his very soul and spirit were bowed down with them with deacon abrams it was an undisputed fact which he had settled long ago and concerning which he felt that there could be no reasonable doubt and his bustling way of dealing with the matter seemed to say that he knew that 
and a great many things besides deacon enos was known far and near as a very proverb for peacefulness of demeanour and unbounded charitableness in covering and excusing the faults of others as long as there was any doubt in a case of alleged evil-doing deacon enos guessed the man did not mean any harm after all and when transgression became too barefaced for this excuse he always guessed it want best to say much about it nobody could tell what they might be left to some incidents in his life will show more clearly these traits a certain shrewd landholder by the name of jones who was not well reported of in the matter of honesty sold to deacon enos a valuable lot of land and received the money for it but under various pretenses deferred giving the deed soon after he died and to the deacon's amazement the deed was nowhere to be found while this very lot of land was left by will to one of his daughters the deacon said it was very extraordinary he always knew that seth jones was considerably sharp about money but he did not think he would do such a right up and down wicked thing so the old man repaired to squire abel to state the case and see if there was any redress i kinder hate to tell of it said he but squire abel you know mr jones was was what he was even if he is dead and gone this was the nearest approach the old gentleman could make to specifying a heavy charge against the dead on being told that the case admitted of no redress deacon enos comforted himself with half soliloquizing well at any rate the land has gone to those two girls poor lone critters i hope it will do them some good there is silence we won't say much about her but suki is a nice pretty girl and so the old man departed leaving it as his opinion that since the matter could not be mended it was just as well not to say anything about it now the two girls here mentioned to wit silence and suki were the eldest and the youngest of a numerous family the offspring of three wives of seth jones of whom these two were the sole survivors the elder silence was a tall strong black-eyed hard-featured woman verging upon forty with a good loud resolute voice and what the irishman would call a decent notion of using it why she was called silence was a standing problem to the neighbourhood for she had more faculty and inclination for making a noise than any person in the whole township miss silence was one of those persons who have no disposition to yield any of their own rights she marched up to all controverted matters faced down all opposition held her way lustily and with good courage making men women and children turn out for her as they would for a male stage so evident was her innate determination to be free and independent that though she was the daughter of a rich man and well portioned only one swain was ever heard of who ventured to solicit her hand in marriage and he was sent off with the assurance that if he ever showed his face about the house again she would set the dogs on him but susan jones was as different from her sister as the little graceful convolvulus from the great rough stick that supports it 
at the time of which we speak she was just eighteen a modest slender blushing girl as timid and shrinking as her sister was bold and hardy indeed the education of poor susan had cost miss silence much painstaking and trouble and after all she said the girl would make a fool of herself she never could teach her to be up and down with people as she was when the report came to miss silence's ears that deacon enos considered himself as aggrieved by her father's will she held forth upon the subject with great strength of courage and of lungs deacon enos might be in better business than in trying to cheat orphans out of their rights she hoped he would go to law about it and see what good he would get by it a pretty church member and deacon to be sure getting up such a story about her poor father dead and gone but silence said susan deacon enos is a good man i do not think he means to injure any one there must be some mistake about it susan you are a little fool as i have always told you replied silence you would be cheated out of your eye-teeth if you had not me to take care of you but subsequent events brought the affairs of these two damsels in closer connection with those of deacon enos as we shall proceed to show it happened that the next-door neighbour of deacon enos was a certain old farmer whose crabbedness of demeanour had procured for him the name of uncle jaw this agreeable surname accorded very well with the general characteristics both of the person and manner of its possessor he was tall and hard favoured with an expression of countenance much resembling a north-east rain-storm a drizzling settled sulkiness that seemed to defy all prospect of clearing off and to take comfort in its own disagreeableness his voice seemed to have taken lessons of his face in such admirable keeping was its sawing deliberate growl with the pleasing physiognomy before indicated by nature he was endowed with one of those active acute hair-splitting minds which can raise forty questions for dispute on any point of the compass and had he been an educated man he might have proved as clever a metaphysician as ever threw dust in the eyes of succeeding generations but being deprived of these advantages he nevertheless exerted himself to quite as useful a purpose in puzzling and mystifying whomsoever came in his way but his activity particularly exercised itself in the line of the law as it was his meat and drink and daily meditation either to find something to go to law about or to go law about something he had found there was always some question about an old rail fence that used to run a leetle more to the left hand or that was built up a leetle more to the right hand and so cut off a strip of his medderland or else there was some outrage of peter somebody's turkeys getting into his mowing or a squire moses's geese were to be shut up in the town pound or something equally important kept him busy from year's end to year's end 
now as a matter of private amusement this might have answered very well but then uncle jaw was not satisfied to fight his own battles but must needs go from house to house narrating the whole length and breadth of the case with all the says he's and says i's and the i telled him's and he telled me's which do either accompany or flow therefrom moreover he had such a marvellous facility of finding out matters to quarrel about and of letting every one else know where they too could muster a quarrel that he generally succeeded in keeping the whole neighbourhood by the ears and as good deacon enos assumed the office of peacemaker for the village uncle jaw's efficiency rendered it no sinecure the deacon always followed the steps of uncle jaw smoothing hushing up and putting matters aright with an assiduity that was truly wonderful uncle jaw himself had a great respect for the good man and in common with all the neighbourhood sought unto him for counsel though like other seekers of advice he appropriated only so much as seemed good in his own eyes still he took a kind of pleasure in dropping in of an evening to deacon enos's fire to recount the various matters which he had taken or was to take in hand at one time to narrate how he had been over the mill-dam telling old granny clark that she could get the law of seth's gran about that pasture lot or else how he had told ziah bacon's widow that she had a right to shut up bill scranton's pig every time she caught him in front of her house but the grand matter of matters and the one that took up the most of uncle jaw's spare time lay in a dispute between him and squire jones the father of susan and silence for it so happened that his lands and those of uncle jaw were contiguous now the matter of dispute was on this wise on squire jones's land there was a mill which mill uncle jaw averred was always a-flooding his meadow land as uncle jaw's meadow land was by nature half bog and bulrushes and therefore liable to be found in a wet condition there was always a happy obscurity as to where the water came from and whether there was at any time more there than belonged to his share so when all other subject matters of dispute failed uncle jaw recreated himself with getting up a lawsuit about his meadowland and one of these cases was in pendency when by the death of the squire the estate was left to susan and silence his daughters when therefore the report reached him that deacon enos had been cheated out of his dues uncle jaw prepared forthwith to go and compare notes therefore one evening as deacon enos was sitting quietly by the fire musing and reading with his big bible open before him he heard the premonitory symptoms of a visitation from uncle jaw on his door scraper and soon the man made his appearance after seating himself directly in front of the fire with his elbows on his knees and his hands spread out over the coals he looked up in deacon enos's mild face with his little inquisitive grey eyes and remarked by way of opening the subject well deacon old squire jones is gone at last i wonder how much good all his land will do him now 
yes replied deacon enos it just shows how all these things are not worth striving after we brought nothing into the world and it is certain we can carry nothing out why yes replied uncle jaw that's all very right deacon but it was strange how that old squire jones did hang on to things now that mill of his that was always soaking off water into these meadows of mine i took and tell squire jones just how it was pretty nigh twenty times and yet he would keep it just so and now he's dead and gone there is that old gal silence as full as bat and makes more noise and she and Suke have got the land but you see i mean to work it yet here uncle jaw paused to see whether he had produced any sympathetic excitement in deacon enos but the old man sat without the least emotion quietly contemplating the top of the long kitchen shovel uncle jaw fidgeted in his chair and changed his mode of attack for one more direct i heard em tell deacon enos that the squire served you something of an unhandy sort of trick about that ere lot of land still deacon enos made no reply but uncle jaw's perseverance was not so to be put off and he recommenced squire abel you see he told me how the matter was and he said he did not see as it could be mended but i took and telled him squire abel says i i'd bet pretty nigh most anything if deacon enos would tell the matter to me that i could find a hole for him to creep out at for says i i've seen daylight through more twistical cases than that afore now still deacon enos remained mute and uncle jaw after waiting a while recommenced with but rally deacon i should like to hear the particulars i've made up my mind not to say anything more about that business said deacon enos in a tone which though mild was so exceedingly definite that uncle jaw felt that the case was hopeless in that quarter he therefore betook himself to the statement of his own grievances why you see deacon he began at the same time taking the tongs and picking up all the little brands and disposing them in the middle of the fire you see two days arter the funeral for i didn't rally like to go any sooner i stepped up to hash over the matter with old silence for as to suki she ha'n't no more to do with such things than our white kitten now you see squire jones just afore he died he took away an old rail fence of his'n that lay between his land and mine and began to build a new stone wall and when i come to measure i found he had took and put a'most the whole width of the stone wall on to my land when there ought not to have been more than half of it come there now you see i could not say a word to squire jones because just before i found it out he took and died and so i thought i'd speak to old silence and see if she meant to do anything about it cause i knew pretty well she wouldn't and i tell you if she didn't put it on to me we had a regular pitched battle the old gal i thought she would a screamed herself to death i don't know but she would but just then poor suki came in and looked so frightened and scary suki is a pretty gal and looked so trembling and delicate that it's kinder a shame to plague her and so i took and come away for that time here uncle jaw perceived a brightening in the face of the good deacon and felt exceedingly comforted that at last he was about to interest him in his story 
but all this while the deacon had been in a profound meditation concerning the ways and means of putting a stop to a quarrel that had been his torment from time immemorial and just at this moment a plan had struck his mind which our story will proceed to unfold the mode of settling differences which had occurred to the good man was one which has been considered a specific in reconciling contending sovereigns and states from early antiquity and the deacon hoped it might have a pacifying influence even in so unpromising a case as that of miss silence and uncle jaw in former days deacon enos had kept the district school for several successive winters and among his scholars was the gentle susan jones then a plump rosy little girl with blue eyes curly hair and the sweetest disposition in the world there was also little joseph adams the only son of uncle jaw a fine healthy robust boy who used to spell the longest words make the best snowballs and poplar whistles and read the loudest and fastest in the columbian orator of any boy at school little joe inherited all his father's sharpness with a double share of good humour so that though he was forever effervescing in the way of one funny trick or another he was a universal favourite not only with the deacon but with the whole school master joseph always took little susan jones under his especial protection drew her to school on his sled helped her out with all the long sums in her arithmetic saw to it that nobody pillaged her dinner-basket or knocked down her bonnet and resolutely whipped or snowballed any other boy who attempted the same gallantries years passed on and uncle jaw had sent his son to college he sent him because as he said he had a right to send him just as good a right as squire abel or deacon abrams to send their boys and so he would send him it was the remembrance of his old favourite joseph and his little pet susan that came across the mind of deacon enos and which seemed to open a gleam of light in regard to the future so when uncle jaw had finished his prelection the deacon after some meditation came out with rally they say that your son is going to have the valedictory in college though somewhat startled at the abrupt transition uncle jaw found the suggestion too flattering to his pride to be dropped so with a countenance grimly expressive of his satisfaction he replied why yes yes i don't see no reason why a poor man's son ha'n't as much right as any one to be at the top if he can get there just so replied deacon enos he was always the boy for larning and for nothing else continued uncle jaw put him to farm and couldn't make nothing of him if i set him to hoeing corn or hilling potatoes i'd always find him stopping to chase hop-toads or off after chip-squirrels but set him down to a book and there he was that boy larnt reading the quickest of any boy that ever i saw it wasn't a month after he began his a b a b's before he could read in the fox and the brambles and in a month more he could clatter off his chapter in the testament as fast as any of them and you see in college it's just so he has riz right up to be first and he is coming home week after next said the deacon meditatively the next morning as deacon enos was eating his breakfast he quietly remarked to his wife sally i believe it was week after next you were meaning to have your quilting 
why i never told you so what alive makes you think that deacon dudley i thought that was your calculation said the good man quietly why no to be sure i can have it and may be it's the best of any time if we can get black dinah to come and help about the cakes and pies i guess we will finally i think it's likely who had better replied the deacon and we will have all the young folks here End of chapter two part one